I like to, if I have the opportunity, drop the fact in there that like, well, you know, I'm an introvert. And they're usually surprised to hear that because, of course, this misconception that introverts have to be these quiet wallflowers with no social skills. But it also helps me put it in perspective because when someone says you're not an introvert, what they're really saying with all their misconceptions in mind is you're likable. I like you. Welcome to the Introvert Dear Podcast the show devoted to helping introverts live more peaceful, meaningful lives. We are here to remind you that you don't have to be an extrovert to be happy. Now, here are your hosts, Jen Graneman and Bo Miller. Hi, fellow introverts. Have you ever wanted to start a conversation with someone, but you didn't know what to say? And once you got the conversation rolling, have you ever struggled to move away from mind-numbing small talk and into more meaningful discussion? On today's show, we'll answer those questions and talk with an introvert who set out to systematically improve his social skills. His story has been featured in Jen's book, The Secret Lives of Introverts, as well as on Susan Cain's website, Quiet Revolution. Our guest today is Andre Solo. Andre is an author, philosopher, and, at times, an adventurer. His most recent book, Lunasa Days, is a tale of magical realism set in the depths of the Great Recession. He's also a passionate advocate for introverts and a highly sensitive people. On introvertdeer.com, he writes about being an introvert and an INTJ personality type. And along with Jen, he co-founded a new community for highly sensitive people called highlysensitiverefuge.com. And full disclosure, he's my boyfriend too. Andre, welcome to the show. Thanks, you guys. You make me sound pretty cool when you say it like all, all that stuff. Well, we think you're pretty cool. Aw, thanks. So, Andre, how did you find out that you were an introvert and how did that knowledge change your life? Yeah, um, I think my story is probably similar to a lot of introverts where for most of my life, I did not know I was, quote unquote, an introvert. I really just knew that I was um, not as into socializing or being around other people as I was expected to be. Um, I remember being in kindergarten and... uh, when we would go on recess, there was, you know, different balls that you could, you could request from the, like, kind of little equipment thing. And I would always grab the same ball. I think it was, like, a, a bright red, like, bouncy ball. And uh, I would just run off with it and kind of hide behind this piece of playground equipment and just sit there on my own <laughs> in silence <laughs> I uh, with this ball that. for no reason, which I was not playing with or using for any ball-related purpose. Um, eventually, this became a point of contention because other people wanted to use the ball, which is fair, I think, now as an adult. But <laughs> for me, it was like, well, that's my friend, and I'm going to go spend time just alone with this thing um, for absolutely no reason other than just I was, I was around people you know, the entire day before that. I'd be around people the entire day after that, and I needed this alone time. So from my perspective, I just was uh, maybe broken in some way. And I was worried there was something wrong with me because I knew that I liked being around my friends, but I really just did not crave the amount of inter the amount of interaction with other humans that, that seemed normal to me. And I really thought that was a problem. And it wasn't until I was an adult and learning this concept of being an introvert that I realized like, oh, we, so there's a lot of people like that. And this is actually a pretty normal thing. And not only that, and more importantly to me, was that by learning about my introversion, I could learn how to kind of manage that energy level that we all sort of drain through as introverts in social situations and kind of show up at social events, you know, with a full battery, so to speak. And also I started to feel more empowered to choose which events or which uh, invitations I was going to accept 
and to, to think of my need for alone time as a valid thing that I could use to decide to turn someone down. Yeah, that's that's super great information. It's just so helpful to know that you don't have to go to everything and, and please everyone. Great insight. So a few years ago, you decided you wanted to improve your social skills. Why did you decide to work on your ability to connect with other people? Can you tell us more? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I decided because... Here, how would I say this? Okay, so I was. We like not, to call that an introvert brain moment on the show <laughs> when someone doesn't know what to say. Right. That's a that's um, an authenticity check. You're truly an introvert. Yeah, we. <laughs> you passed, the, I passed test. the test. Exactly. Um. So I was a nerd, and I mean, it might surprise people to know that somebody who spent kindergarten hiding behind the. <laughs> <laughs> grew up to be a social outcast in high school, but surprise, <laughs> that's how it went. Um, I was a nerd and I was also very much a social outcast. Um, I did not have a lot of friends in much of middle school and high school. Um, and as a result, I really wasn't just an introvert. I was also an introvert who didn't have a lot of social interaction with my peers during a very formative period. So by the time I was in my 20s, I really had terrible social skills, which is not true of all introverts. There are plenty of introverts who actually have excellent social skills. Um, And I just sort of had this idea in my head that um, this is just the hand you're dealt, you know, that, that some people have social skills, some people don't. Just like, you know, some people are really good at athletics or some people are good at other things. And I remember even at my first uh, serious job, like, you know, well, I wasn't that okay. I remember even at my first job in college, uh, a coworker kind of like telling me like, why are you so like reserved and shy or whatever word she used? And I said, well, I just don't, you know, I never have any social skills. Like, I don't know what to say. And she's like, well, you can, you can learn that. And I actually argued against her. I was like, well, no, I, I you know, uh, some people have it, some people don't. So this was very embedded in my, my idea of what, kind of how the world works. And it wasn't until later in my 20s that it occurred to me that there were a lot of things that I had not been good at before that I had learned to do through practice. And there's no reason in theory why social skills would be any different than that. So why not kind of look at what good social skills look like on other people and start kind of setting practices that I can use to develop those up myself? Did you read a book or did that just occur to you while you were uh, pondering life? Um. No, it seemed to just to kind of occur to me. <laughs> I think it probably would have happened sooner and maybe gone more smoothly if I had read a book. Um, but it really was just a situation that this was a recurring pain point. And mm. I really do feel uh, you know, that social skills are one of the single most valuable skills you can have. Um, in many ways, I think that social skills are more important than job competence. I think that they may be more important than intelligence. They may be more important than... Um, you know, how physically fit or attractive that you think you are, that other people think you are. Hmm. Um, just in terms of like pragmatically, what's, what's, what are the most effective skills? What will get you the farthest in life? Everything I just listed there has its own benefits. Um, and I mean, heck, I'd, I'd like to be smart as well as charming any day. Um, but the bottom line is, in terms of what actually helps benefit your career, your life, your relationships, having social skills is maybe one of the, the top couple of skills in human reality. <laughs> and so realizing how, how often it bit me in the behind that I just didn't have those skills or that I would just completely mess up social situations, um, it, I had a strong incentive to, to sort of find a way out. And I started thinking about, well, there's got to be a way to train this. 
I love that idea that a, a pain point can become a strength, though, and, and that you had that mindset shift that it's not something locked in place that you inherit, but something they can grow through. That's really cool, Andre. Exactly. Yeah. So, Andre, tell us about your plan. You were very systematic in going about this and learning social skills. I've heard this story before. I think it's fascinating. How did you measure and track your progress toward growth? I, so I don't know if it's fascinating. It's mostly weird. I really respect it. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. I was very systematic, but I think that's the first thing I'll say is that not everyone has to be systematic. I went about this systematically and built rules to follow because I'm the kind of person where I like a system to follow. Um, and other people might find other more organic ways to do it. But uh, yeah, so for me, I basically set these rules for myself and set a goal. And the goal was that, you know, this week I'm going to go up and talk to, um, I think it was three strangers. It might've been five. I actually forget the number right now, but I had this goal that I'm going to, this week I'm going to, I'm going to go and and speak to three strangers. Um, It's going to be more than just a high, more than just a passing, like, how's it going? Um, They have to actually like strike up some kind of conversation, even if it's short, that's okay if it's short. Um, But I also realized that, that there are ways to cheat on this. And anybody who's ever been on a diet that says like, well, don't eat a lot of sugar knows that there's ways to cheat. Well, what if I eat honey instead of sugar? Right? <laughs> um, so same thing with social skills. I realized quickly that there are people that are actual strangers that uh, it's going to be hard to talk to. And there are people who are quote unquote strangers, but um, it would be too easy to talk to them. And I wouldn't really gain anything out of pushing my boundaries that way. So I made rules. The first one was the person can't be paid to be nice to me. Meaning that like a waiter, uh, the person behind the counter at, you know, who, who's working customer service, those are all strangers. And sure, I wouldn't normally strike up much, much of a conversation with them um, beyond just what I needed to say. But striking up conversation there would be too easy because they have a financial incentive to be nice. And you know, no matter how miserable and awkward I am to try to like kind of lubricate the, the interaction. Mm. And then the other rule was it couldn't be someone that um, I was getting an introduction from from a friend. So if, if somebody else took me and introduced me to their friend who is a stranger to me, that stranger doesn't count. So it had to be a situation where I just walked up and struck up a conversation. And uh, that was the first phase, which... Um, that sounds I will, intimidating. It was really intimidating. <laughs> it's, yeah. And I mean, the biggest thing is I, somehow I had the presence of mind to, I, I think, to actually remind myself of this before doing it, that like, Andre, you're going to be embarrassed. Mm. And and more than that, you're going to embarrass yourself, like guaranteedly. And I would say this to anyone else who tries to go out and work on their social skills. Be honest with yourself up front. The first few times you try this, you are going to embarrass yourself and you will say something that doesn't quite sound right or comes across not the way you meant it. Or you just have an awkward pause or silence that you don't know what to say. That is actually going to happen. And if you can just accept that in advance rather than living in fear of it, um, that's going to make it much easier because in reality, this is a very short interaction. You'll probably never see the person again. And it's okay if it's a little awkward. Yeah, that's great. I love what Seth Godin says around this topic of fear and progress. He says, if you're not feeling a bit of fear, you're probably not taking a step in the right direction. But if it is there and it's not like overwhelming, like fight or flight sort of situation, then right. you're probably moving forward and growing. So it's it's actually a good thing to feel a bit of fear and to press through it anyway. So, so kudos yeah. to you for doing that. Well, thanks. And that was exactly what happened. I mean, the, the first, I, the first interaction I had, 
uh, I worked in an art museum at the time. So I took a break and went out and walked through the, the galleries. And, you know, I found a pretty quiet room where someone was admiring a piece of art that I happened to like a great deal. Um, so I walked up and stood next to them and, and looked at it as well. And then I said to them, like, this is a, one of my favorite pieces or something like that. Um, and then this happened. They said <laughs> something back, which is normal. And I don't remember what it was. And then I had no idea of what to say next. And I just stared at them. And then they stared at me with a growing sense of unease. And then I said, well, have a nice day. And I just <laughs> out of that room. I just fled <laughs> to the other end of the museum. That's so great. It's and, a good thing uh, you and I met after you had, uh, you know, worked on these social skills. Yeah, things could have gone very differently. <laughs> but, but you know what? Like, have, have you heard of the spotlight effect? That idea that, you know, what we're experiencing in our own head, that we think everybody's just staring at us and thinking, that guy's a weirdo or that, that girl's a weirdo. Like, <laughs> honestly, they're just thinking more about what other people think about them. So I think to some extent, we always exaggerate what's actually happening in our own right. minds. I think you're right. Yeah, and that person's probably going through the rest of their life wondering, like, well, did I have something in my teeth? Or like, <laughs> like, like, like I wasn't the awkward one, right? Right. Um, and, but, you know, as bad as that first attempt was, I counted it. Technically, I went up and had an interaction with a stranger. Yeah, that's I great. Said some, they said something back, and we closed out the conversations, such as it were. And I remember I had to do three of these in one week. And by the last one... I went up to a person in a, in a restaurant that I had just, you know, paid my tab and I was on my way out, but I noticed a book with an interesting cover sitting on their table and they were dining alone. So I, I just stopped at their table. I said, pardon me, I hate to interrupt you. It probably wasn't quite that well said, but like, hey, I'm sorry to interrupt. Um, what's this book? It looks interesting. And we actually had a short conversation where they told me the name of the book, what it was about. And it was like a meaningful, like, I had a comment they said something back, like a real conversation like people with some form of social skills might have. So literally just in the space of a week, I had gone from fleeing the room out of terror by the end of the interaction to <laughs> having something where the person probably thought like, oh, cool. Yeah, maybe that guy, I'll read that book. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So I love that story. That specific story is so good. Can you tell us more about the most challenging parts and then ultimately the benefit of this experience? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest challenging part is probably what I said, which was um, how embarrassing it's going to be the first couple times. It does pass much more quickly than you think. Um, I mean, it really, really very short period of time you can get better at this. And then um, I think the other big challenging thing is then scaling that up because that was week one. So I had three interactions, but they weren't very meaningful. And so the next week I had to have three more, but this time I had to end with there had to be some intention of one or both parties that we were going to follow up in some way really of both parties hmm. so that could be that i invite the person to something it could be that we end up becoming facebook friends it could be many things but this interaction had to have at least the intention when we when we finished it that it's going to you know that oh and something else has to happen oh, you took it to the next level i took it to the next level and i did that i think the very second week um which may have been fast actually um that was much harder and i think so once you start taking it up a level we're like now the, you know what about a conversation where this leads to something what you could you could set other challenges what about a conversation mm. where i make the person laugh <laughs> you know what about a conversation where i find a way to make the person feel good about themselves like mm. can i give a compliment that is not just like hey nice shoes but like something meaningful mm. Um, 
And I would probably start by doing that on whatever gender you're not attracted to, if any, so that it's not like conflated with, with hitting on the person. Mm-hmm. Um, especially important if you're a guy, don't creep people out. Um, but, you know, yes. you can set different challenges for yourself. Um, and that is going to be where a lot of the difficulty comes from. Anyone can, can choke through three acceptably awkward interactions in a week, but the goal is to keep pushing the boundaries on those skills. Um, in terms of the benefit, it's huge. I mean, eventually within a, a few months, I was getting better. Uh, I mean, with, within, yeah, probably, probably six to eight weeks of challenging myself, I really felt much more comfortable talking to strangers in all kinds of situations. And taking a more active role in, in interactions, even with people I knew. And I just, you know, you, you, you're what the muscle that you're making yourself work out here is not just the think of something to say muscle. In fact, that's probably the least important part of it. What you're really challenging yourself to work out is the reading the conversation muscle. And that is the skill that many of us who maybe grew up as social outcasts or we're very introverted, so we don't spend as much time interacting. A lot of us have um, less experience doing that. And I wasn't good at reading the conversation. Reading, is someone interested in what I'm saying? Mm. Is someone, did they laugh at that? What emotion are they kind of expressing right now with their body language? Um, you know, who here should meet who else here? Or have I talked too long? Should I kind of pass the baton, so to speak, of the conversation by mm-hmm. asking someone else a question? Those are things that I didn't have a, a radar for. And so learning that, that skill, that is like the key to unlocking you no longer feel awkward. Mm. Yeah, that's great. I got to say that just listening to your story, it really reminds me of um, Zha Jing's Rejection Proof. Have you guys ever heard of that book? No, it's uh, but he he just sets out to go through a hundred experiences where he brings rejection upon himself because he's definitely afraid of what people think of him, and it's really similar to your experience, Andre, in that like after the first few experiences, his confidence kind of soars, and then he has to raise the bar considerably. But it's funny too, like his first experience, he absolutely flees the room too. So I don't know, I, I, just that commonality that might, if you're listening to this today, that might be a good book to check out because he finds out in the end that what he thinks, um, you know, people are rejecting him for, it's not really him so much that they're rejecting, but maybe the idea or they just have a personal interest that they don't like. So I don't know. I think that applies to this as well. And um, and it's, it's cool too, to hear Andre, how quickly you started to see some of the benefits as you yeah, learn to read and, the conversation. Like what you said about confidence. I mean, that's, that is the key as well is that, I mean, people say, well, if you don't feel confident, fake it till you make it. That doesn't work. You can't fake being confident if you're mm-hmm. not actually confident. Um, what does work to build confidence is going through even just a few test experiences, just a few test runs. And like you said, I mean, within a few times of trying this, the level of confidence I had that I could do more and push the border, push the boundary more had just gone up um, exponentially. Mm. So it's a huge confidence booster, both in terms of how confident you feel, how quickly, mm-hmm. and then also in terms of how much more confident you feel in life in general, huh. if you feel confident with your, with your social skills. So Andre, I remember you telling me that after a few weeks of doing this, you had a very extroverted friend who you met just kind of out and about at some social function, and you revealed to her that you were truly an introvert, and she was floored. (laughs) And I think she said something like, no, not you. You've just got the gift of gab. It's natural for you. 
So I, I just think that's really incredible. That's a huge testimony to how your systematic plan worked. I want to go back to one thing though, and you touched on this a little bit already, but what do you do? What specifically did you do in your head or what did you tell yourself when you were about to approach someone and you instead felt like fleeing from the room? I'm just thinking of a lot of listeners who, who would feel very intimidated by walking up to a stranger and saying something to them. What kind of mental gymnastics or what kind of like mantra did you tell yourself to overcome that fear? Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. It's, I, I don't think it was so much a mantra in the moment as you're walking up to the person. I think it's more, at least for me, um, I like to be prepared for things. I don't like to uh, have to respond. I don't have to, I don't like to react without any kind of preparation spontaneously. I like to have a plan. And so the fact that I had a plan, I knew the rules and I knew the stakes were low. I, I knew that I had given myself permission for this to go horribly awkwardly wrong, to embarrass myself. And that I had reminded myself that, you know, especially in that first week, none of these have to become people you see again. You're, you're choosing strangers, you know, for a reason, because um, if it is awkward, then it's over. It's over when you walk away. So I think that sense of um, preparation was what paid off the most in terms of being able to do this. Um, but I also do think that just a moment before walking up to the person, I would have to remind myself of that um, and just kind of say, okay, you're just going to go do this. Just start moving your feet. And when you get close, they're going to look at you because there's somebody walking up to them and you're going to have to say something. So at that point, you're kind of locked in, you know, just get moving toward them. And remember, it doesn't matter if this is embarrassing. So I need to play devil's advocate for a moment now. Yeah, go for it. Does this mean you're an extrovert now? <laughs> I love it. I'm, I'm definitely not an extrovert. Um, and I think anyone listening to this show probably knows the deal that introverts are in a, in a large, to, to a large extent, introverts are sort of wired from birth. It's in our biology that we um, react to stimuli this way. And we have a preference for less stimulation or for not enduring stimulation as long. We get drained quickly by stimulation, whether it's social or other kinds of very loud, busy things. Um, and so that hasn't changed about me. Um, I do a few things that have changed. I have a lot of people who don't believe I'm an introvert because I, I like to tell people, you know, if, if I am at a, you know, if I am at a quote unquote networking event, or if I am at a, at a party and I'm talking to people I haven't met before, or a friend introduces me to someone who I don't know, and I'm going to chat with them and, you know, hopefully make them laugh and have some kind of conversation that's a little bit meaningful. Um, I like to, if I have the opportunity, drop the fact in there that like, well, you know, I'm an introvert. And so blah, 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 blah. And they're usually surprised to hear that because, of course, this misconception that introverts have to be these, these quiet wallflowers with no social skills. So if you're talking to someone who seems socially friendly um, and interesting in conversation, well, they, they just can't possibly be an introvert. And I like, I like to do that because it, it changes that misconception a little mm. bit. But it also helps me put it in perspective because when someone says, you're not an introvert, even though that's a little hurtful to me because you misunderstand who I am, like what introversion is, it's also what they're really saying when they say that with all their misconceptions in mind is you're likable. I like you. Hmm. And the best way to confront that misconception to say, well, a lot of likable people are introverts. Being an introvert is not about how socially likable you are. Mm. The best way to confront that misconception is 
to be able to do it from a place of strength. And the fact that I can be the introvert in front of them who has spent at this point a decade of practicing these skills very intentionally and to be the one where they're like, oh, maybe an introvert is something different than what I thought it was. Um, I like that feeling. And it's, it's, you know, back when I was very socially awkward, I could certainly explain to someone the concept of what an introvert was. Um, but I don't know that it would have, you know, if I said very awkwardly, like, well, you know, it, um, it doesn't mean that we, we can't be friendly. Uh, well, uh, and then I like looked away with bad eye contact. I don't know that that would get across the idea that introverts can be charming and friendly too. (laughs) (laughs) So it's just kind of nice. It's, it's one of my favorite things when somebody trots out that misconception to get to very gently and in a friendly way, kind of call them out on it almost playfully. And then watch as they realize that like, no, this guy really is convinced. He definitely is an introvert. And, and he also is someone who's able to hold a conversation. That's so wise of you to reinterpret their words as I like you because that's really what they're saying. So I think from now on in this conversation, Andre, I might just say you're not an introvert. And I want you to interpret, you know, to hear that as you're doing a great job. Thanks for being on this podcast. <laughs> that's, that's great. That's how we should do all of our, our feedback. Oh, yeah, that's really good. You're not an introvert. Uh, moving on to, to <laughs> talking about some of the social skills that you've developed. Obviously, you're, you're employing them excellently now, but what are two or three of those you feel are most important for introverts to learn? Absolutely. Um, the, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think there are three. Um, one is humor. If you can, and, and this is my favorite one for people to practice because mm-hmm. every single introvert listening to this, has, I believe, has at least one friend who, when you're with that friend and there's not other people around, with that person, you're probably pretty charming and funny. I bet you make that person laugh. Mm-hmm. And if you can do that with that person, it means you can also do it with other people. At that point, it's just a question of your comfort zone. And so drawing on the fact that you're already a funny person and trying to go ahead and, and, and say something like you would say to a close friend, make a joke that you think is going to be funny to somebody who you don't know that well, that's a huge moment, like getting to cross that bridge and then seeing the fact that like, well, I can make that person laugh. And frankly, it's going to go like all the other experiments. The first time you're going to bungle it up or get the punchline wrong or something, you know, but after a couple of tries, you will, you'll be able to get people to laugh. And the great thing about humor is it's, it's the golden key. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody loves somebody who makes them laugh and all the other things that are maybe valued in, in social situations like, Oh, well, this person's the serious deep thinker one, or, well, this person is really assertive. That's great. Or all those other things. If you're funny, no one cares about the other ones that much. So that's a really good one just to practice because it's a great confidence booster and it's something you already have inside you. Hmm. Um, Another one that's really, I, I think really important to practice is the ability to speak up for yourself. And I used to be the kind of person where if I was at a restaurant and my food came and it was not what I ordered exactly, I would just say nothing. I didn't want to inconvenience anyone. Um, And then more recently, you know, Jen and I went out to dinner with her parents and um, both of their, you know, we all ordered hamburgers at this, this place near our house. Both of their burgers came out wrong. I think they were undercooked. They'd asked for them like well, well done or something. And um, you know, they weren't sure what to do that, you know, they, they are also very quiet people and they really don't like to trouble others. Um, 
And they, they were willing to ask for their burgers to be replaced, but it was really busy. And we were going to sit there for 15 minutes while, you know, while, you know, waiting just to ask for someone to remake the burger. So I just picked up the two plates and I just walked up to the, the waiter entering the stuff into the computer, you know, and say, pardon me, I'm sorry. You know, uh, our friend's burgers came out much, much more rare than they asked for. And within 10 minutes, we had, you know, th- what they wanted and everybody was happy and we got to move on. Hmm. And I think a lot of people, if, if you feel socially awkward, even just in a casual situation, that awkwardness or that anxiety gets ratcheted up times 10 in a situation where you have to even gently confront someone. No one wants to tell someone, hey, you messed this up, you know? Um, so using those social skills to start to, to speak up for yourself just in little ways, like, um, hey, sir, I was here first, actually. You know, if somebody just stepped in front of you in line, um, just simple things that can be polite. Uh, that's really nice because it means introverts don't always have to finish last. We don't always have to wait for everybody else to get what they want and then we get ours. I mean, you, you, you get to, you know, live your life and get the things you need and speak up for yourself like everybody else. Um, and the last one would be, I mentioned earlier, reading social cues. That's a really hard one in theory, but it's, it's really easy to practice if you, if you just like work on one thing at a time. So for example, I made a rule that, um, you know, if, if you're talking about something, um, let's say you're talking about politics, right? And then there's an interruption in the conversation. Someone else comes in or the food shows up or whatever else it might be. If no one says, hey, Andre, what was that you were saying about politics? Never bring it up again. <laughs> like if, if you were just dis- disrupted saying something and no one asks you to finish it, it means they were probably done with that topic. It doesn't mean it was a bad topic. It just means move on. Um, so things like that and things like, you know, if you're talking more than maybe a 30 seconds or a minute, pause and ask someone else a question, even if it's really simple, like, what do you think? You know, um, really simple things like that will kind of act as a crutch that let you navigate social cues until you have more of an intuition for them. That's really good advice. And yes, I love it when people pause to ask me a question because sometimes as an introvert, I just need someone to turn to me and ask me a question. I just don't naturally spout out what I think. I just keep it in my head. So yeah, I really appreciate it when people recognize, oh, she's being quiet. Let's just kind of blur into the conversation. So, well, hey, Jen. One, yeah, yeah, go ahead. What do you think? <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I, was, I was just practicing some humor and me. asking a question. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but see, now you're putting me on the spot. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. I <laughs> sorry. I don't think anything. I have no thoughts. <laughs> Jen, don't worry. You're not an introvert. Oh, (laughs) I haven't reinterpreted that in my head. I actually, I actually feel a little sad to hear that. I'm definitely an introvert. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, this is the perfect transition to what I was going to ask you about. A lot of times I feel like I just don't know what to say to people. And this is something I, I struggled with even more so in the past, but still today, there is someone interesting I walk by in the gym that I wish I could get to know better, but I don't know what to say to them. Or just, you know, in conversation with friends, it's sometimes like I hit a wall and my, my mind is just blank and I don't know what to say, but I'd like to keep talking and connecting with them. So Andre, do you have some favorite conversation starters that you could tell us about? Yeah, this this was a hard part, right? Because you're you're going to hit this point where you, you you've gone through a few weeks of trying to speak with people, and you're starting to feel more comfortable with it, which means you're not as awkward anymore. And then what happens is they want to talk to you longer, mm-hmm. and that's a crisis because <laughs> you don't know what to say. Well, I don't know. What to, I thought you were going to run away. 
I came up with a few things that I would just keep in my back pocket, so to speak, that I would, just topics I would have ready um, to use in any conversation. And I had, I had three of them. One is a, did you know? And by a, did you know, I mean that I will, you know, I read a lot. I think a lot of introverts do, and I'm often absorbing interesting or cool information that I just learned. And that makes a great conversation topic. Um, So my first one that I would keep would always be a did you know. Obviously, every couple of weeks as you read something new, you find something else interesting. You kind of think to yourself like, oh, maybe this will be my did you know for a while. Um, So, for example, did did you know that the single most important friendly bacteria is almost extinct in the United States? No way. Actually true. And like, yeah, see, you like that. You were like, oh, no way. Like, tell me more. Right. And then I could tell you a little bit about that. It's true. Like there's a type of friendly gut bacteria that we're all supposed to have in our intestines that um, humans have had their intestines for, I don't know how many thousand years. And in the United States, almost no one has it anymore. It's gone. (laughs) In other countries, developing countries, they still have it. And it might be part of some of our health problems here. Mm. Um, So that's a fun thing. The danger with the did you know is you don't want to become Mr. Lecture Man. Mm. You know, you want, to, you want to put it out there. I've known people like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then you, you let people like react to it and make jokes. And I think the most important rule is just like you might have read it. And if you love science or maybe it's not a science thing, maybe it's a current event. Maybe you love that celebrity you were talking about. Did you know so-and-so got married to so-and-so? And somebody else says something that's technically incorrect. You don't have to correct them. Mm. You can just roll with it. And that's an easy way to make that less of like a lecture and more of like a likable interaction. Um, I also like to have a, have you heard? This is a current event, some kind of current event in the news. The danger here is that you don't want to choose something obvious. Like, have you heard North Korea and Trump talked? Well, yeah, everybody's heard that. Like, tell me something else, right? Um, So you kind of want to only use those if you kind of heard something that maybe is a little more niche or that maybe not everyone knows. Um, so for example, have you heard that Coco the gorilla passed away? Oh, yeah. Right. Everybody knows Coco the gorilla. That's sad. And then people can talk about it. Um, you don't have to use a sad one. <laughs> it's not always great. Uh, that's like a, that's like a, you know, that's like a wah, wah, Debbie Downer. Wah, wah. <laughs> um, and then the last one I like to keep is just an, I think, which is like an opinion, but it has to be a fun one. It has, you know, you already have your, did you know, so that's your soapbox one if you want it, but your, I think is going to be something you can think of. That's maybe like a, a kind of a quirky opinion you have, or, you know, some, some realization you came to recently. That's maybe a little interesting or whatever it is, but preferably something fun. Um, it doesn't actually have to start with, I think it's just, you're, you're presenting an opinion that people might have, you know, opinions of their own on. Um, so for example, I like dessert. I like fruit. I do not like fruit in my dessert. Wow. And then everybody will have a reaction to that. Everybody will talk about that, you know, and you can change that up every couple of weeks as well, if you want. That's good. Those are some great ideas. I, I've, I, those aren't ones that I use on a regular basis, but I think I'm going to employ those in the future. Those are also like the 101 level. Um, because those I, I used when I didn't know at all what to say, mm. when I was just like, Andre, if you don't go into this conversation with a topic already planned, you will be lost. Um, and that's, that's great. Again, it's like one of those things you can use as like training wheels for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, what ends up being better, um, you'll kind of graduate to, I guess, like when the training wheels come off, um, is to make a habit of just asking other people questions. Mm -hmm. 
and people will guide the conversation. You don't have to know what to talk about. That's, that's the real secret that I think that like, you know, all the extroverts who just kind of pick this stuff up naturally because they love talking to people, they all know this. And, and that's the secret that's really hard for people who feel like they don't have social skills to learn is that you don't have to know what to talk about. People will guide the conversation if you let them, because um, most people love to talk and um, even the people who don't love to talk in general love to talk about themselves. So, Andre, can I say something that might be a little embarrassing? Oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, this is my favorite. Are you kidding me? Yeah, go for it. Here, here it comes. So I, I'm thinking back to when we first met each other and you were living in Mexico and I was living here in Minnesota and we were getting to know each other by talking on the phone at night because we were, you know, just apart from each other physically. Yeah. And both being introverts, I think we both wanted to have sort of a game plan for what we would be talking about on our phone call that night. <laughs> so I remember on many occasions, we would be texting throughout the day and we would say something like, oh, okay, put that on the conversation list for tonight. <laughs> and we would kind of come in with like this plan already of several things to talk about. And I mean, it sounds a little cheesy now to think back to it, but it, it really did give us some interesting conversations and mm. help things flow well. So oh, I think that really just having an idea in your mm-hmm. mind of what you want to say ahead of time can really help if you're feeling anxious about approaching someone. Maybe it's a new friend. Maybe it's a first date. Maybe it's in a job interview, whatever. But just having some topics at the ready and having some questions that you could ask the other person too just really goes a long way. Mm. Yeah, that's yeah. great. That's actually, I love that you said that. I actually forgot about that, which I'm embarrassed about now. But um, I could picture that being useful for anyone. Like Mm. if you keep a notepad next to wherever you work or in your pocket, if you work a more active job. And when you think of, because I mean, introverts, we all have these at some point during your day, at many points during your day, you're going to have a thought that you're like, oh, wow, that's really interesting. I want to read about that later. I never thought of that before. Something like that. If you jot that down and then just, you know, use that as your conversation list before you go to a social thing, you'll be, you'll be the life of the party. Andre, you've given us some great food for thought as far as getting started. I love the idea that you guys shared about just making a note of what you want to talk about. And that made me think, you know, and you guys are probably already thinking this, but you don't even have to say what you're writing down on that list. That can just be something that, that you are doing to prepare. And that reminds me of Jen Conweiler's book, you know, talking about introvert strengths. And in that book, she says that preparation is one of the biggest ones. So why not lean into that strength and prepare and you don't have to voice it around the world. But you've got... Oh, that's so good. Yeah, I love it. You've gotten us into the the conversation with some great conversation starters and some advice about asking questions, which was awesome. I'm wondering, did you find anything helpful for getting past the small talk home? Oh, it's it's the hardest thing. It really is. Um Yes, I, I, I do have ways to try to do that. Um, I think one thing that we as introverts need to remember is that although we don't like small talk because it's not meaningful and so it's kind of just draining our battery for no real reason, um, there are people who like small talk. Mm. And in particular, are there... there are people... What's that? Are there really? There are, <laughs> <laughs> there are actually. And there are people who love being around people and interacting with them. Mm. They are extroverted, friendly people, but who maybe do feel a little bit of social anxiety or a little bit of um, just social awkwardness. Or there are people who feel like it's intrusive to jump right to a really deep topic when you barely know someone. Mm. So one thing I've come to realize is that for some people, the small talk is actually more comfortable for them. Um, 
And so you want to kind of be respectful of that if need be. But nonetheless, I just plow right past it whenever I can. Um, (laughs) 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 The way I try to do that is, here's what I used to do. I used to kind of lean in and say to the person like, so, Bo, tell me your story. Oh, love that. And you love that, but a lot of people are like, uh, wait, what do you mean about what? Like where I work or uh, uh, they won't know what to say to that. Mm. Um, it's a very big thing. It's completely open-ended. It leaves people with a lot of, suddenly the onus is on them to come up with the big, meaningful, deep thing, right? Mm-hmm. Where, whereas you're just doing nothing except asking this question, right? So it's kind of like making them do your work for you, which isn't the worst thing. And some people love it. Um, But what I like to do instead is, I mean, I guess this would be my advice to people, is you need to know what you find interesting in order to get past small talk with other people. And what I mean by that is on a deep level, like the types of things you find interesting, not topics, not like I find science interesting or I find football interesting. That won't be helpful here because not everybody finds those things interesting you need to figure out what is it about humans that you like, like what part of their being, what part of their psychology or of their daily stuff is it that you find meaningful and interesting and then go for that. Mm -hmm. So for my personal example, because that sounds very abstract, right? My personal example is what I really like is learning the systems people use to do things the systems that people who are good at something use to be good at it, that the rest of us don't know that there's a system for that. Hmm. And usually that person also does not know there's a system for that because they don't think of it as I wake up and I follow this set of steps. They think of it as, you know, I just do this. It's just, it's just a, it's just natural talent or it's just a thing I know how to do. Um, But what I love is getting them to break down. Well, how, what do you do when you're good at that thing? And that's me. That's not everyone. Uh, But for example, Um, I have a friend uh, who is a morning person and he's not just a morning person. He will get up at 5 a.m. every single day. He will spend 90 minutes to two hours doing his creative work every single day. And then he gets ready for work and goes to his normal nine to five job. And then he's happy at his nine to five job, Mm. not because he loves the job, but because he is getting his creative work done every single day. It's very fulfilling to him. So the job just feels like whatever. Cool. I don't care. Um, contrast that with me, I often have work to do that's not my creative work, but I have to find places to fit the creative work in. And it's often a struggle of like, you know, what in the evening? Like, well, how many nights do I have where I don't have to see people or do some event? Like, okay, well, when do I get to do this creative work? It's very hard. And so I wanted to learn from him, like, how do you go about the process of getting up that early and getting something accomplished every single day, not even just getting up that early and then putzing around or like, well, then I took a longer shower and I decided to do a workout, but every single day you're doing your creative work. So the last time I hung out with him, we had probably a 40 minute conversation where I was just kind of getting like kind of making him walk me through his morning. And he found it kind of flattering. He told me at the start, he's like, I think I'm just a morning person. I don't think there's a system here. And I was like, well, tell me about it. Like, what time do you wake up? Do you use an alarm or do you just wake up at that time? And we walked through the whole thing and I found it fascinating. And to anybody else, if you're not into that, it might just be, well, who wants to hear someone's itinerary of the first two hours of their morning? That's horrible. It's boring. But for me, it was fascinating because I was learning how to be good at something. 
I was learning like a system I could use myself. For you, it might be something different. It might be what makes the person, what makes people happy? Like what makes you personally, this person I'm speaking to feel a sense of joy, you know, for somebody else, it might be, do you feel like you have a sense of purpose in life? For somebody else, it could be something completely different. For me, I really like learning about what makes people tick. Mm -hmm. I like knowing about what's going on in their minds, how they're feeling, maybe problems they might be having. What about you, Bo? What do you like to learn about? (laughs) I was just going to say the exact same thing. Oh, I I like to find out um, what a person's passion is. And I find like getting to that question is really exciting because they like to talk about their passion, but I get to hear about it. And while I'm hearing about it, I'm like, ah, so this is what motivates and drives this person. This is what makes him or her tick. That's exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's so good, you guys. I love both of those. Yeah. And when you, I mean, once you know what you find interesting about them, because I'm going to be really honest here, it's it's time for introvert honesty, everybody. (laughs) I find most people boring. We need some transition music for introvert honesty (laughs) moments. I was just thinking that. We've reached the introvert honesty segment of the day. (laughs) Hashtag introvert honesty. Honestly. Do you find people boring? I find most people boring. And I know that's you're not supposed to say that. Like everybody is special, everybody's interesting in their own way, but most of them are boring, honestly. And what I mean by that is just that I, you know, I don't necessarily relate to every single person. And in particular, I don't relate to the part of themselves they show to the public of every single person I meet. But somewhere in that person, in somewhere in that person who on the surface, I think is like, well, yeah, none of these things are interesting to me. I don't really have much to say to you. Somewhere in them is a part of them that I will find interesting. And that's the challenge. Hmm. It's okay to think other people are boring because most people talk about stuff that's pretty shallow. It's what we call small talk. Most people um, are mostly interested in talking about themselves. That can get old fast. And you know, not everybody has the same interests or personalities. So you don't always click with the person. It's completely okay to just admit to yourself as an introvert, most people don't interest me that much. But even if you do think, like I do, that many people are boring, there's a part of them that if you get them talking about it, they're going to be really interesting all of a sudden. It's often the thing that they're good at, if you can get them talking about that. And it's often going to take some nudging. So Andre, can any introvert do what you did? And if so how would you recommend he or she get started? What's the very first step? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give a qualified answer. Yes, any introvert can do this, but I want to be really clear that not every introvert needs to do it. I, you know, I think that we ourselves as introverts need to be careful not to fall into the same misconception other people have of thinking like, well, if you're an introvert, then obviously you wish you were more social. Like, not necessarily, If you're an introvert and you're listening to this and you're happy with your social skills, if either because you think you have great social skills or because you're kind of happy being the quiet one, you don't really feel a desire to be the one who's jumping in the conversation more often and being in all that. That's cool. That's okay. I like that about you. So nobody has to learn this. And I think accepting yourself as an introvert is a bigger and more important thing than like, oh, how can I polish out my weaknesses? But for me personally, I also value polishing out my weaknesses. So um, absolutely, any introvert can do this. That's my belief, but more importantly, that's what science says. This is a skill like any other. The human brain is remarkably elastic. And even people who seem to have almost superhuman levels of natural talent at something, like NFL athletes, no, they, they got that by practicing. Um, one of my favorite facts is that 
if you look at the roster of just about any professional sports team and you you look up the birthday of every player on their professional team, most of the birthdays will be in August or September. That's crazy. Isn't that from um, Outliers? Have you read I that book? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Continue. And it's the reason for that is because people born in those two months are going to be given a choice. The parents are given a choice. You want to put the kid in school um, a year early where they're the youngest kid in the classroom because their birthday is right around this time. Or you want to put them in a year late where they're the oldest kid in the classroom. Well, if you put them in a year late, then they are more cognitively developed and more physically developed than the people in their peer group. And um, all the teachers think they're extra smart, even though they're not, they're just a year older. All the coaches think they're extra physically talented, even though they're not, they're just a year older. And so the person ends up getting told for the next you know, um, 15 years of their life that they are really good at something. And everybody loves being told you're really good at something. So then they like that thing and they practice it more. And eventually these become people who oftentimes go on to become like, you know, the great athlete or the great musician or the great whatever, because they were just given the positive feedback loop. And it's not 100%. There's plenty of professional athletes who were born in other months and just figured, I love this sport, I'm gonna work hard at it. And they get to this exact same place. And that's the lesson you need to take for everything, including social skills. It does not matter if you were born in the August or September of social skills. That just means some people got a lucky advantage early on. And if you didn't get that advantage, you can do the exact same practice now that they might have done years ago. So, yes, you can absolutely do it. If you think you can't do it, you're wrong. Believe in yourself. You can do it. And I will now add another qualification, which is that (laughs) there are also people where this is going to be, you're in a situation in your life where it is going to be harder for you than it is for, for many people. And I'm thinking specifically of not just if you think you're awkward like I did, not just if you think you're a wallflower like I did, but if you're in a situation where you actually live with social anxiety, Mm. like that's an actual condition that exists. And if you have it, um, then this will be more challenging. And again, it's perfectly okay if you're just not interested in, in, in trying to go out and do this thing that makes you horribly anxious and somehow get better at the skills. But what you should know is that first of all, there are people who are very, um, who, we, who outsider, who people who don't know them would look at and say, wow, that person's so charming and so friendly. And on the inside, they are also living with that social anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, those people are people who have taken the time to build up social skills. And so they're very socially capable in some situations, but other less familiar situations continue to give them horrible anxiety. Um, so if that's the situation you're in, then it's going to be a lot more challenging to start off in this process. And I would talk to your therapist or psychologist that you're working with about your anxiety and tell them like, hey, I've kind of been thinking I want to build up my social skills, but I'm worried about triggering my anxiety way too much. Like, what should I be doing? And I would ask for their assistance because they'll have ideas and they'll be able to, to kind of, you know, help you take the first steps to do this in a way that's not going to overwhelm your anxiety. Um, but I do believe that anyone can do it. Yeah, great thoughts and and a very good reminder that we're all starting in different places. You don't have to do this. You can do this. And maybe there are some other considerations like what challenges are you working through? So really good stuff. But let's just go ahead and and suppose that the listener wants to do something to develop social skills in the next two weeks. Can you give them a, a starting point? What would you recommend? What's a challenge you'd give them for the next 14 days? The biggest thing I would say is there's nothing you can do in the next 14 days. You should do it today. Mm. You should do it today or tonight after work or whatever it is. Right now, you should think about what's a time of day today that I would have an opportunity to speak to a stranger. On my commute, do you use public transportation? That sounds like a place to do it. If you, use, if you do this for the first time on public transportation, do it about one block before your stop. 
<laughs> you want to be able to get out of there. You don't want to be trapped on the same bus for the next 30 minutes after making a fool of yourself, which, again, I promise you, you'll do the first time, and it's okay. Um, but, you know, am I going out to lunch? Can I go up and strike a conversation with somebody at a different table? Uh, am I going out to an event with my family or my spouse or my partner later? These are all opportunities where you can just challenge yourself to do this once. Are you running errands later? Are you running errands right now while you listen to this? There's someone else in the grocery store that you could go talk to about something. No, their kid is the same age as your kid. Or, oh, they're pulling some cereal off the shelf. And you go up and ask them, like, have you had that one before? Do you know if that's, you know, is it good or whatever it is? Um, my, my challenge would be find a way that's going to be comfortable. Well, it's going to be quote unquote comfortable for you, right? It's not going to be comfortable, but it's going to be find a way that works for you to do something today where you speak to a stranger who has no incentive to treat you like nicely, not a waiter, not somebody behind a counter, but just a random stranger and give yourself permission to feel embarrassed. So one thing I like to tell people is that if walking up to a stranger sounds intimidating to you, think about someone that you want to get to know better. Maybe it's a coworker that you seem like you would click with or someone in your class that you'd like to get to know. So that can be another way to do it too, to take some of these uh, tactics and apply them to someone you kind of vaguely know or vaguely feel comfortable with uh, and then mm, help advance that relationship. So Andre, on a personal note, what's the best book you've read recently? And I know you read a lot, so I bet this is going to be a tough one for you. Yes, I do read a lot. There's been a lot of great books lately. Um, One of the best books I've read recently is called Peak. Peak, Secrets from the New Science of Expertise, which is by Anders Ericsson and Robert Poole. One of them is a researcher. The other one is a professional author. Um, And the research in this, I I would call this the perfect book for introverts who want to achieve more. Um, It's basically about this idea that every field of expertise you can imagine, no matter how different they seem, it could be chess, it could be something creative like music, it could be a physical sport, some kind of athletics. All of them, of course, have certain people who are like particularly good at what they do. And that all of those people practice a certain way. It's not just how much time they practice, it's the method they use to do that practice. Um, and this book, believe, this, the research suggests that every single one of those fields use the exact same method. If you're an expert at something, if you're truly one of the best in your field, you use the exact same practice method as experts in completely unrelated fields. It might look different, but the strategy is the same. So this book, Peak, goes through what that strategy is, um, how you do it, and how you can apply it to uh, other types of, you know, to whatever your thing is in your own life, I am using this exact strategy right now to become even better at my writing. Um, And I'm going to plug a bonus book, uh, which is called The Charisma Myth, which I think is particularly useful if you are working on your social skills. Uh, The Charisma Myth is basically about the four different types of charisma that exist um, and how you can become good at each and every one of them. It's by Olivia Fox Cabane. Love it. Those sound like great books for the Amazon page, Jen. What do you think? Yeah. And if you're interested in checking out any of those books, you can go to our Amazon affiliate page. It's at amazon.com slash shop slash introvert deer. And we'll have all the books listed there. And when you purchase from that page, you help support our show. Yay. Andre, it's been awesome talking to you today. Thank you so much for what you've shared. How can our listener learn more about you and what you do? Lots of ways. So uh, if you want to check out my novella, it's called Lunasa Days. Um, that is available on Amazon and uh, lots of other places. 
Uh, I also write for Introvert Deer. Many of you may have read some of the INTJ articles I've written there, and I've written about other topics as well. And uh, Jen and I have launched a new website that is specifically for highly sensitive people. And of course, many of our listeners will know that lots of introverts are highly sensitive people. Lots of highly sensitive people are introverts. So if that's you, you might want to check out highlysensitiverefuge.com. Awesome. Well, thanks again for being on today. Yeah, thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening to the Introvert Deer podcast. Make sure to subscribe so that you don't miss out on future episodes. If you enjoyed today's show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes. And remember, there's nothing wrong with being quiet and spending time alone. 